A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over a hundred episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the comments team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode contains some pretty graphic descriptions of violence, so it may not be suitable for everyone. This was the summer of 2015. It was a crazy drought like BC had never really seen before. Environment Canada has issued a special statement about the heat in Vancouver. The city is already imposing water restrictions and fire bans. This was the first summer that I remember waking up in the morning and the sky was orange. Every day, somewhere between 12 and 20 new fires start in this province. I've never been in such smoky, hard to breathe conditions. There was ash you know, on my windowsill from a wildfire. We're used to that now, but there was a lot of anxiety about this drought. I'm Bethany Lindsay. I'm a reporter at CBC in Vancouver, and I've been covering the Miles Gray case for about four years now. During that hot, dry summer, Miles Gray was making deliveries across the Lower Mainland. Miles Gray was 33 years old. He lived in Seashelt, which is on the Sunshine Coast of BC. It's kind of a ferry ride away to the northwest. Miles had his own business as a wholesale florist. He was a fit young guy. He was an uncle who, who loved his nieces and nephews. And what I've heard from the people who knew him is he was just a really good kind of caring guy. I spoke to his mom a couple of weeks ago, and she told me about this time where Miles saw a car accident. He'd seen somebody drive over an embankment, and he walked down this embankment and grabbed a woman out of her car and carried her back up to the road to safety. So that's kind of what we know about Miles. On August 13th, Miles had a delivery in the city. 
He came down from the Sunshine Coast, took the ferry, and went to Burnaby to do a delivery for his florist business. He was traveling to somewhere right on the border between Burnaby and Vancouver. And at some point, he came into contact with a woman who lived in the very southeast corner of Vancouver, and it appears she was watering her lawn. And watering lawns was banned at the time. Tensions were really high that summer. People were furious when you caught your neighbors watering their lawn because we were watching the water reservoir levels go down every day. Miles began to argue with the woman watering her lawn, and he got angry. Miles had approached her, yelled at her, and sprayed her with the hose. And that's when her son called the police. A Vancouver police officer arrived. She called for backup, and eventually seven other officers came. And what happened next took place in an enclosed backyard. Besides the VPD officers, no one else knows exactly what happened. There's no surveillance video and no other witnesses. But within less than 10 minutes, Miles Gray was dead. What we do know for sure is the state of Miles' body when he died. What they found during a forensic autopsy was bruising all over his body, bruising and cuts on his face. His orbital bone was broken, so the bone around his eye socket. His nose was broken. There was a possible partial dislocation of his jaw, minor brain bleeding. His voice box was broken. He had at least one broken rib, and his testicles were hemorrhaged. It's just such a long list of injuries, and, you know, every time I talk to his family about this, it's just, it's so hard for them to to hear that, to hear how badly he was hurt in this encounter. Miles Gray was killed five and a half years ago. But even today, we don't know the names of the police officers who did this to him. The investigation into his death took more than half a decade. BC has the highest per capita rate of police killings in the country, but not a single officer has been convicted for one in my lifetime. I'm Archie Mann, and from Canada Land, this is Commons. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I've been thinking about what happened to Miles Gray a lot over the last few years. I first heard about the case because I'm friends with one of his cousins. As a journalist, 
I've covered a lot of cases of police misconduct and violence, and while I know lots of people who have had bad run-ins with the cops, I've never really known someone who's impacted like this. I've written about Miles' death, and I've always been interested in the reaction that it gets. People in Vancouver and in BC seem surprised by the details, and they always wonder why this wasn't a bigger story. Bethany Lindsay's had the same experience. I've written so many stories about what happened to Miles Gray, and almost every time I do, I get an email from somebody who says, why haven't I heard of this case before? Why haven't you reported on this before? And why isn't this front page news? And, you know, it has been front page news, and I I can't explain what happened here, why it hasn't prompted more of a conversation about what's going on with policing in, in BC. There's a lot about Miles' death that stands out. There's the specific circumstances around the day of his death, the fact that he was unarmed and on the job, that he was killed in the middle of the day. And then there's who Miles was. He had no history of mental illness, as far as anyone knew. He was gregarious, well-liked in his community. The usual excuses and justifications that police-friendly media use to try to tarnish victims of police violence. You couldn't really say any of that about Miles. Miles was not somebody who was involved in crime. He didn't have a criminal record. He didn't have a history of mental illness, as far as the family knew, and as far as we know, a a history of drug use or anything like that. Those are the kind of factors that often put you into conflict with the police, and Miles had none of that. But there's two things that have stayed with me the most. First is the brutality of the injuries that Miles suffered. It's hard to hear about. Here's Miles' mother, Margie Reed, speaking to Global News BC. Well, he had broken bones. He was beat all over. He was black and blue. He had ruptured testicles. I mean, what is that? Humiliation? And the second thing is that we still don't know the names of the officers who did this to him. We know absolutely nothing about them. We don't know their names. We don't know their ranks. We don't know how long they've been with the force. We don't know their disciplinary history. We don't know anything like that. All of them could still be officers in good standing with the Vancouver Police Department. There's no way of knowing if a VPD officer you encounter may have been involved in Miles Gray's death. So what do we know about what happened to Miles on that hot August day? The following details come from a report released by the BC Prosecution Service on December 16th. It's the first time the public is getting any details from a government agency about how Miles died. After Miles allegedly sprayed a woman with a hose in southeast Vancouver, the woman's son called the police. They said that Miles was speaking in gibberish. And according to that report, he walked up and down the sidewalk, yelling and in some form of distress. A VPD officer arrived on the scene about half an hour after the call. She told investigators that she confronted Miles and that he was initially cooperative, but soon he became angry when she mentioned him spraying the woman with a hose. The officer claims that she felt threatened by Miles and went back into her car and called for backup. Miles walked into a backyard. Two more officers arrived, and the three of them followed Miles into that yard. During the next ten minutes, four more officers arrived. Miles 
was alone with seven VPD officers. Because there was no video evidence or any civilian witnesses, the exact sequence of events that transpired here is unclear. But we do know what the cops did to Miles. Before his death, Miles was hobbled. That means that his ankles were tied together. He was hobbled because they were having trouble getting him into handcuffs. And then an officer bear hugged him and took him to the ground and he was handcuffed. So both his hands and his ankles were tied. Within just a 10 minute period, here's a list of all the use of force that was applied to Miles by the police. There was the use of pepper spray, repeated baton strikes to the legs and lower body, neck and head restraint, foot, knee, and closed fist strikes to the back and upper body, and closed fist strikes to the head and face. During that 10 minutes, Miles was pepper sprayed, beaten with batons, fists, knees, and feet on almost every part of his body, and he was put in a chokehold that rendered him unconscious. His nose and orbital bone were broken, his jaw was dislocated, his neck was bruised and his voice box was crushed, his rib was fractured, and his testes were hemorrhaged. And after all of this physical punishment, his heart stopped and he died. Miles's family was devastated. They couldn't believe that this had happened. It was incredible shock, incredible grief, and that gradually changed into anger. Much of that anger has been fueled by the lack of information about what exactly happened to Miles. Just as in most other provinces, whenever the police are involved in someone's death in BC, an independent civilian agency is brought in to investigate. And that creates a kind of silence around a case. The IIO and the police say almost nothing while an investigation is ongoing, though the cops will try to shape the narrative regardless. After Miles's death, the VPD said that an agitated man had died in the course of an arrest, pepper spray had been used, and that six VPD officers had to be taken to hospital, two of them with serious injuries. Now that sounds pretty bad, but today we know what those quote, serious injuries were. One officer had been punched in the face, and they had a cut on their face. And another one also had a cut on their face that was caused by a low-hanging tree branch. In comparison to the injuries that Miles suffered, these seemed pretty minor. And when the Independent Investigations Office of BC began looking into Miles' death, they immediately hit roadblocks. From the beginning, it appears there were issues with trying to get information from the police. None of the officers involved made any notes about what happened, which is contrary to VPD policy. They did submit evidence pages to the police database, which is called Prime, but not until at least five months after Gray had died. It's just basics of policing is keeping notes about what has happened, especially when someone has died. And some of the officers, with the full support of the Vancouver Police Union, resisted cooperating with the investigation for three years, forcing the IIO to take them to court. That's according to Ron McDonald. He's the current head of the IIO, and he came on partway through the Miles Gray investigation. It was a complicated case because there were no independent witnesses, only police 
officers who were present at the time of the injuries list inflicted on Mr. Gray. So when I arrived, um, there actually, there was a problem with gaining cooperation from two of the officers who were intended to be witnesses. And while the statute requires them to give a statement, they were disputing the grounds on, upon which they had to give statements. They were fighting this battle on a couple of different cases, the Vancouver Police Union specifically, suggesting that the IIO wasn't giving officers a chance to look over their notes and statements, review enough information before they sat for an interview. And the IAO has said, you can look over your own notes. That's fine. But we don't want you to look at anything that would taint the investigation. But this actually ended up going to the BC Supreme Court in a different case. And the judge there said, the Vancouver Police Department has been operating under a misapprehension that you don't have to cooperate. All of this dragged out the process for over half a decade. It's been excruciating for the family. It's one thing to have a child die. It's another thing to know that the police may have caused his death. But then the waiting for answers means you never get to fully move on. That's what Miles's mom, Margie, has told me over and over again. You know, every time there's something new about the case, it's reopening an old wound. She can't just bury her son and move on from this. It's just been really, really difficult to try to move on and heal just because of the length of this investigation knowing that there are officers who, who know something, who haven't fully cooperated. You know, it's, it's something I can't, I can't even imagine what it would feel like. Here's Margie Reed speaking to Global BC on the fourth anniversary of Miles' death. Those wounds just get opened again and again and again every time you have to go back to day one. Four years later, we're still none the wiser. We still have no VPD officers' names. We have no civilian witnesses. The IIO finished their investigation in February of 2019 and sent their recommendations to the BC Prosecution Service, which would decide whether or not to charge any of the officers. Ron McDonald, the head of the IIO, believed that there was enough evidence to press charges against some of the officers. The recommendation to refer for charges was based upon the information that we had about Mr. Gray's injuries, which were significant. and the evidence that was obtained from the officers whom we were able to speak to, in my view, suggested that the force that was applied, that there were reasonable grounds to believe that based on that information, there had been excessive force applied. But on December 16, 2020, the BC Prosecution Service announced that they wouldn't be charging any of the officers because they believed there was not a substantial likelihood of conviction. Miles's family was appalled. Here's his dad, Mark Gray, speaking to Global News. He was pepper sprayed, chained up, and handcuffed, so he was incapacitated, and then they beat him to death. There wasn't an inch of his body that wasn't beaten or bruised. That's not serve and protect. And here's his sister, Melissa Gray. If you have somebody hobbled and handcuffed, why couldn't you just step back? He was suffering. And then they, they just did that to him, you know, and it just, it just hurts. 
Miles's mom is just crushed. She's absolutely crushed. She's disappointed. She's disgusted. She called this a uh, travesty. And she said, you know, this isn't just about my family. This is about all Canadians. You should be worried about the precedent that's being set here and the standard that's being set for policing. Harsha Walia is the head of the BC Civil Liberties Association. And she was incensed when she heard about the decision to not prosecute any of the officers involved in Miles Gray's death. But she wasn't surprised. My initial reaction was outrage. I mean, you don't have to be a lawyer to know that when somebody dies or is killed and there were seven people present there, you know, even if you're not able to ascertain exactly who did what, uh, that there has to be accountability laid on all seven of those people. And I think there is legitimate public outrage about the fact that there is so many years later, more than five years later, still no accountability for the death of Miles Gray and that not a single one of those seven Vancouver police officers is going to be facing charges in his death. For her, it's further confirmation that the police are rarely held to account in B.C. or elsewhere. And, you know, this is happening at a time where there is local and global outrage about the power of police, the impunity with which they operate, and the lack of accountability in all of our police forces, whether it's the VPD or other municipal police forces or the RCMP. And the injustice in the death of Miles Gray really highlights why people are so angry at the police. British Columbia in particular has a dismal record. B.C. has the highest per capita rate of police killings in the country. But over the last few decades, not a single police officer has been convicted for killing someone. And some of these cases are horrifying. Take Paul Boyd. Boyd was an animator who was having a bipolar episode on Granville Street in Vancouver in 2007. VPD officers said that he attacked them with a chain, so they fired three bullets that killed him. No charges were brought against them. But then in 2012, a video of Boyd's death emerged, showing a very different story. Life of Mama, from Shot the guy, In the footage, Boyd can be seen crawling on the ground on his hands and knees before the police fired the fatal shots. And despite the new evidence, no charges were laid. In 2010, Vancouver police responded to a call about a woman who was being attacked by her husband. When they arrived on the scene, they beat the man who answered the door. The problem was, they went to the wrong unit. It was just after 2 a.m. Yahweh Wu was asleep in his bed when he heard a loud pounding on the door. He looked through the peephole. The two men identified themselves as police. And the minute he opened the door, without any explanation, they kicked the door, pulled him out, and bashed him. None of the officers were charged. And then there's Hudson Brooks. In 2015, Hudson was walking around in distress in South Surrey, wearing only his boxers and flip-flops. He was outside of the Surrey RCMP detachment yelling when an officer attended to him. And for the males that uh, walking, he's yelling while walking eastbound on 18th Avenue, he's yelling, kill me, kill me, kill me. He's walking down the middle of the road, he's a white male, five foot seven, eighteen years old, with a slim belt, with blonde hair, he's got no shirt and he's wearing shorts and no shoes. Shots fired, shots fired! 
Surrey Flight Charlie 52, shots fired, one male down. We need to use Sierra Code 3. Even though he was totally unarmed, the officer shot Hudson nine times and killed him. She also shot herself. I think I shot myself. The officer, Constable Elizabeth Cuckran, was charged with aggravated assault and assault with a weapon. But those charges were dropped by the Crown before any trial. Here's Hudson's mother, Jennifer Brooks, speaking to the media after the charges were dropped. I really, really, we really thought we were going to get justice. I, I, I truly believed that. I truly did. And now look. Very few of these cases even get reported, even get investigated, even make it past the threshold of the IIO. So we're looking at the tip of the iceberg when we're looking at the number of investigations by the IIO when it comes to police-involved deaths already. So why weren't any of the officers involved in Miles' death charged, even though the IIO believed that there was enough evidence to do so? One of the biggest reasons is that The officers involved gave contradicting stories, they gave inconsistent stories, and the investigators really weren't able to piece together a timeline of what actually happened. All the officers said that Miles was resisting arrest, but they gave different stories about how he was doing that and what force was applied. So they said the officers gave incomplete and inconsistent statements about what had happened. I asked Ron McDonald about this. Well, it's difficult for me to walk you through the Crown's reasoning on that because it is the Crown's reasoning, not mine. I will say that in general, where you have several witnesses to an incident that can be fairly dynamic, it is very common to expect differences in their recollections and what they do and they don't see. Um, The Crown also referred to the inconsistencies between the officers and the incompleteness, I believe, of their statements. Um, Some might suggest that the better way to test that evidence is to have a trial. However, the Crown determined that they, they weren't going to do that. Now, the other major issue, of course, was that they couldn't figure out the actual cause of death. So there are nine different things that the coroner thinks could have killed Miles, and some of those don't involve the police. So they say they can't prove that the police did anything to cause his death. Considering the level of violence that the VPD inflicted on Miles, this seems a bit ridiculous. And honestly, I think it is completely ridiculous. But let's walk through these alleged other possible causes. The first thing the BC Prosecution Service notes is that a toxicology report indicates that Miles was on Kratom. If you haven't heard about it, Kratom is a herbal supplement with some narcotic properties. They say he was on that and toxicity from Kratom might have caused his death. This is pretty far-fetched. According to studies, Kratom is near impossible to overdose on by itself. While it's been linked to some deaths, studies show that it's almost always accompanied by fentanyl or another opiate, and none of that was found in Miles' system. Next, the autopsy noted that Miles had a slightly enlarged heart. His mom's answer to that is, Miles was an athlete. It makes sense that his heart was slightly larger. Another theory they gave was something called excited delirium, which is a pretty controversial condition that usually we only hear about it in police-involved deaths. It's this extreme agitation. 
It was mentioned during the George Floyd death just this summer. It came up in the Elijah McClain incident in Colorado. A lot of doctors are skeptical about whether it even exists, but the Crown prosecutors here in BC have said that excited delirium may have been the cause of Miles' death as well. Because it could not be definitively, absolutely proven that one of these afflictions didn't help cause Miles' death, BC prosecutors felt that they didn't have a high likelihood of convicting these cops. To be frank, I think all of this is bullshit. Are we really supposed to think that although the police pepper sprayed, beat, and choked Miles until he was unconscious, that this wasn't the primary reason he died? You heard the injuries he sustained. I don't care if his heart was a little bit bigger. I do not understand how the primary cause of his death wasn't sustained violent assaults he suffered at the hands of the police. In my view, there is no question that those VPD officers killed this 33-year-old man. And I don't believe for a second that if a group of seven civilians had beat someone in that fashion, it wouldn't matter what narcotic the victim was on, or if they were agitated, or if they had a slightly bigger heart. No one would take those explanations seriously. The question we should be asking is would Miles be alive if the police hadn't beaten and restrained and choked him? And I think he absolutely would be. The police officers told investigators that Miles seemed impervious to pain, and he seemed to possess, quote, remarkable strength. Miles was a strong guy. He worked out. He kept himself in very good shape. But he's 5'10", like he's not a huge guy. And, you know, that is a, a narrative that you hear sometimes in, in these police fatalities that, that the person involved seemed to have superhuman strength. And I mean, we have no way of knowing because the only people who know what happened are the police. I asked Harsha Walia why she thinks Miles's death has seemed to go under the radar until recently. I think for far too long, there has just been a culture of protection for the police. And most people tend not to question. For me, the one fundamental question is why? No matter what someone did, why did you have to kill them? If you are trained, there is so much more than you can do prior to killing somebody. It's contradictory, right? Because on the one hand, the police justify these massive budgets by saying that they are trained in dealing with people in crisis, that they are trained in de-escalation. Yet every time these situations emerge, they somehow seem to be incapable of de-escalating. The fight to get Miles some justice isn't over. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is going to investigate this. And they will take the contents of the IAO investigation, but they can also take investigative steps of their own. So they'll be looking into the conduct of the officers. And they have the power to recommend charges. They have the power of disciplining officers. The family did have a civil lawsuit that they filed against the police department way back when. That was put on hold because of the criminal process. They may decide to open that up again. And it's possible there would be a coroner's inquest. But we haven't heard anything about that yet. And through some of these processes, we might eventually learn the names of the police officers who did this to Miles. Until then, they'll remain anonymous, protected. 
if this was a murder and a death involving civilians, we would know who was involved. We would know the names of the people. There would be the open court principle. But in this case, there continues to be just such a complete lack of transparency when it comes to police conduct and misconduct. And I think, you know, the police are one of the most powerful institutions in our society. They are licensed with lethal violence. They're authorized to carry guns and tasers and weapons and batons. And they absolutely should be held to a much higher standard when it comes um, to misconduct, when it comes to assault, when it comes to violence, when it comes to killings. And in fact, we have the opposite, which is that they receive far more protection and you know, their privacy rights are, are weaponized really to protect them. Even though we don't know the names of any of the officers who were subjects in the Miles Gray investigation, we do know one of them who was a witness. She's one of the officers who refused to give a second interview to investigators. Her name is Constable Hardeep Sahota. Constable Sahota was refusing to cooperate. She didn't want to sit for a second interview. And the IIO had to file a petition to BC Supreme Court saying that she needed to be compelled to participate before she finally agreed to sit for a second interview. Constable Sahota helped co-found a youth initiative to help kids steer clear of gangs. And for that, she was honored by the Khalsa Diwan Society, Vancouver's oldest Sikh organization, for being an exemplary role model for girls and young women. But I don't see it that way. To me, Constable Sahota's refusal to cooperate, which dragged out the pain that Miles Gray's family experienced, is absolutely appalling. The police often chide civilians for not coming forward when they witness a crime. How can they say that with a straight face when they confound investigations into their own conduct at every turn? Over the last few months, the VPD has been engaged in a PR war over funding with the City of Vancouver. City Council has voted to keep the budget as it is, while the VPD claims that that's the equivalent of a major cut. And the police have been going hard, claiming, often erroneously, that crime has been increasing. I think the VPD, to be honest, is kind of throwing a tantrum because, you know, police are just so used to being able to justify their budgets, having city council and police boards do their bidding, being able to year after year continuously ask for more public funds to justify their budgets. But one thing that's been missing from that debate up until recently is the death of Miles Gray. What the Vancouver police did to this unarmed man, the lengths they went to to frustrate the investigation, and the continued anonymity of the officers involved. And it's that last part that still gets to me. Every time I'm back home in Vancouver and I see a police officer on the street or a cruiser driving by me, I can't help but wonder, where were you on August 13th, 2015? Were you in that backyard with Miles? Did you beat him with a baton, kick him between his legs, choke him until he passed out? So the next time you see an officer on the streets of Vancouver, please do me a favor. Ask them if they killed Miles Gray.
that's your episode of Commons for the week. If you want to support us, click on the link in your show notes or go to commonspodcast.com. This episode relied on reporting done by Bethany Lindsay of CBC Vancouver, Cassidy Olivier of the Vancouver Sun, Sarah McDonald of Global News BC, and many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at commonspod. You can also email me, arshi at canadalandshow.com. This episode was produced by me and Jordan Cornish, with additional production by Dami Lola Oname. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt, and our music is by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, please help us make this show. Click on the link in your show notes or go to commonspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.